Well, today we're in Psalm 143. So we're going to be going to the Old Testament for a while and camping out there for some months. Today we'll be in the Psalms and then we'll be going uh, to Ruth next week for some weeks. Psalm 143 is a psalm of King David. King David, who was a shepherd, who was a warrior, who was a king. This is a psalm of prayer. There are many different psalms that, that David wrote and many that others wrote. Some are to be sung. This particular one is a prayer. He is praying to God. And we're going to see how this psalm can also help us in our praying. Because the word of God is our, is our guide. It is our authority. It is what we must follow to understand who God is. And so we'll see in the prayer of David here need and struggle. I know that there are many of you that come here today with a heavy heart. I don't know why. The Lord knows why. You know what weighs down your heart heavily today. But David poured out his heart to the Lord, a genuine outpouring of heart to the Lord. If your understanding of prayer is just repeating words that somebody else told you to say, you don't really understand what prayer is. Prayer is a, is a genuine outpouring of the heart towards the Lord. Just like any conversation with anybody else that you have a real relationship with, you don't say the same thing to them every single time that you see them. Or you would say that's a cursory, shallow, meaningless relationship. The people that we have real relationships with, we have meaningful interaction and conversations with them. And so David pours out his heart in a real way. And yet we will see that it is respectful it is hopeful, it is humble, it is full of faith. So there was a book some years ago written called The Shack. I don't know if anybody remembers that book, but part of that book that I had such a giant problem with is it basically taught you that it was okay to just vent your anger on God. And that is not okay. Just like it's not okay to vent your anger on any other person that you have a relationship with, if we give vent to our anger, it is sinful and it hurts other people. And it is not okay to give vent to our anger toward God. But yet it is right to give to outpour our hearts genuinely to the Lord. So we're going to learn here a little bit today of what it means to pour out genuinely to God the struggles that you are dealing with, but understand that you are speaking to Almighty God. And so we must be respectful, hopeful, humble, full of faith. So let's read Psalm 143 this morning. Please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word in Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy, in your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Verse 3, for the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground, he has made me sit in darkness like those long dead, therefore my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Verse 7, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. 
Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. All right. So David begins here with contrition and humility, which is where we should often begin. Whether we begin with worship or contrition, we can go back and forth. We see it both in the scriptures, but we always start in some way with understanding and honoring the fact that we are sinners and the Lord God is perfect and righteous and worthy of our praise. Here, David starts with contrition. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my pleas for mercy. He asks God for mercy. What is mercy? Mercy, I think, can be displayed in two different basic ways, and we kind of see both of them here in this psalm. One is a, a judicial mercy, meaning that I am guilty and rightly condemned, and I am coming and asking for forgiveness, that you would have mercy on me, that I might not have to face the penalty and the right end of what that I have done. And so when you say, God, have mercy on me in a judicial sense, you're, you're asking for his forgiveness. And that's part of what David is doing here. David knew that he was a sinner. And some of the most clear prayers of confession and seeking of forgiveness in the Bible come from things that David wrote. He was passionate in his humbling of himself before God and asking for God to forgive him and have mercy on him. And the Lord did have mercy on him. But another way that the Lord might have mercy on us is in a sense of poverty, that I am impoverished. I have, I have nothing that I can bring to the Lord. I come with empty hands. And it's not that we, we get a discount from God, that we bring something and he gives it to us for less. It's that we don't have anything to bring to God. We are impoverished in our soul. And we come to him and call out for mercy. And he gives to us freely by grace and by love everything. He lavishes on us the blessings of his spirit and so many other blessings as we'll see in the life of David to come. So mercy is even though I have nothing, nothing that I deserve, I am given generously from God. So because of your mercy, O Lord, hear my prayer. Because God is merciful, he does hear our prayers. But I think it's very important because we can often assume that God hears our prayers. I think often in America especially, we don't take for we don't take seriously what the Bible says about some aspects of prayer. And the Bible is very clear that those that sin greatly against the Lord and reject him, God does not hear their prayers. And one of the great examples of that comes from what we have here uh, with David and the interaction that he had with King Saul. So David was the second king of Israel, and Saul was the first king of Israel. And Saul began with the favor of the Lord, but he continued to go into a way of rebellion. And God gave him a, a, a judge, a man named Samuel, to speak the word of the Lord to him and clearly give him direction and clearly guide him. But Saul would not follow after the ways of the Lord. He continuously rebelled openly against the Lord until it became an open public national issue. 
And there was a time at which the whole nation was looking to Saul and the direction of Samuel, and Saul directly rebelled against the Lord. And Samuel comes and condemns Saul for it and tells him, the kingdom has been taken away from you and it will be given to another. And that other was going to be David, a man that actually loved God from the heart. And when this kingdom was removed from Saul, you would think, you know, how would I react to that if God came and greatly uh, brought condemnation against me for something that I had done, what would be the reaction of my heart? The reaction of the heart of a Christian, someone that loves God, is humility and confession and contrition. Those that hate God, they double down on their sin, which is exactly what Saul did. He doubled down on his jealousy and his anger and his hatred for God and his rebellion against God, and his life goes into an absolute tailspin. And when he gets near the end of his life, when he is facing a dire situation, and he knows that life and death is on the line, and I need to know what God has to say about this, he starts praying one more time and asking God, what is going on? But it says in 1 Samuel 28, 6, a sobering, sobering statement. It says the Lord would not hear his prayers. The Lord had shut him out. The door was closed, and God would not hear the prayers of this man. And instead of doing what David does here and humbling himself and confessing his sins, he continues down his path of wickedness, and the scriptures tell us that he goes to see a witch and seeks the dark arts and dark wicked things to understand what is going on in the future. And there the Lord tells him that he is going to die. It's a, it's a sobering statement. But what I'm trying to drive home here is that we must take seriously prayer to the Lord. And we must not always think, oh, I throw anything up to God. God always hears my prayers. He's, I, don't, I don't know how you view God. But praying to God is a serious thing. And we must... Bring, come to the Lord with humility and contrition. God, have mercy upon me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. We prepare our hearts, and we come before the Lord in the way that the Lord would have us to come to him. And so this psalm is an example of that. And David always did that for all of his sins and for all the things that David did wrong. He constantly confessed his sins and received mercy from the Lord, and the Lord was always with him in his life. And so it will be with you and I because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of your mercy, O Lord, hear my prayer. Well, verses three and four carry on. For the enemy has pursued my soul, has crushed my life to the ground. I sit in darkness like the dead. My spirit faints. These are, these are heavy statements. He's got a lot going on in his life that is weighing down on him very heavily, and he is expressing it to the Lord. And as I hinted at earlier, it, it, is, it is right for you to express the heavy things that are on your heart whether it be great financial stress or great emotional stress or the rebellion of children or the forsaking of friends or the losing, of, I, I don't know what is weighing you down today, but it's right for you to take those heavy things to the Lord and say, God, have mercy on me. These things are deeply weighing down on my heart. When we look at the life of David, we see how this develops. David's life started out in an amazing way anointed to be the, the promised next king of Israel. And by faith, he goes and, and kills Goliath and becomes the, the warrior, savior, if you will, of the nation. And the people love him. David, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. The people love him. 
He goes into service of the king. He marries the king's daughter. He's best friends with the king's son. Like, how much better could things get than this? Except Saul becomes radically jealous of David and tries to kill him twice while he's in the king's court until David has to flee for his life as a refugee out of the king's court. Some men come around him, but he, he's hunted like an outlaw refugee for many years as he runs around the, the country of Israel trying to avoid being killed by Saul, and it is not an easy thing. And eventually, after years pass by, he comes to the place where there is nowhere else to hide in Israel, and he has to go to another country. He has to go to the, the land of his enemies. He has to act like he's crazy. He has to pretend like he's going to help them. The whole thing is just getting worse and worse and worse. And then it hits this absolute low point where he's living in the land of his enemies. And he and these men that are with him go away from the camp that they are in. And when they come back to the camp, it's been looted. Everything they have has been stolen. And all of their wives and children have been kidnapped. And it's an absolute, utter disaster. At this point, Samuel, the man that, that anointed him king, is dead. I mean, everything seems like it is not going to work out the way that God said it was going to work out. And it, the Bible is very clear that the people that were with him were so upset with him, they started to pick up stones to stone him to death. This is as bad as it gets. And so you look at David and say, what did David do at that point in time? What did he do when he was at the absolute bottom of the barrel? 1 Samuel 30, verse 8, says that David went to prayer. David went and inquired of the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Should I go after these people or should I not? Should I just hang it up and throw in the towel and quit right here? Or should I keep going? And the Lord tells him to go after these people, go bring these things back. And it, it, that's what happens. That's what works out. He ends up bringing everything and everybody back. And right after that is when the whole thing turns and Saul is killed in battle and he goes and becomes the king of, of Judah and then on to Israel and then this a radical, complete change in his life. But he had been waiting and struggling and hurting for over 10 years, waiting for the prophetic fulfillment of the Lord for what God had told him would happen. But he kept going. He kept going in steadiness. He did not give up in hope upon the Lord and kept striving in prayer and pouring out his heart to God. My life is crushed down. My spirit faints. I don't know if any of you have ever fainted before, but you just, you just run out of strength and you just fall over. And that's what's happening in his heart. And he pours this out to the Lord. I don't know if David's words describe you today, but if they do, then I pray that you will call out to God in mercy. Lord, have mercy upon my soul. Strengthen me in this time. Help me to know what it is that I should do. Guide me in your ways. And the Lord will continue one step at a time, one day at a time to guide you and lead you in his ways. I'm gonna read Isaiah 40. 28 through 31, which is such a powerful passage on this, as we struggle and we feel that our strength is failing and our faith is failing and we're just not sure what to do. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says this, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The strength comes from the Lord. Those that wait upon him, it is the pattern of the Lord to make us wait upon him and not answer all the why questions up front, but to have us believe him and walk in faith. So I encourage you, hear the words of David, hear the words of Isaiah, and let us go to the, to the Lord for mercy in times of struggle. Well, we carry on in verses five and six. In verse five and six, he goes to remembrance and meditation and pondering after he pours out his heart to the Lord. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. It's impossible, I think, to overstate how important this is, that when you're in the moment and things are going so bad and they're so difficult and there's so much struggle, that a part of strengthening our faith, that we're constantly reminded of in the Bible, is to look to the past, to look to the works of the Lord in the past, and to remember what God has done in the past. That's a part of what is recorded for us in the Scripture. There's a lot of history in the scripture. And a part of that is for this very reason, that you might not only know truths about the character of God, but that you might see how God has acted in the past and be greatly encouraged by it. And so we have many stories recorded for us, many characters, many acts of the Lord in the Bible. I have no idea how much you know about the Bible, but if you've never read the Bible and you've never read these things in the Old Testament and what I'm talking about to you is very vague, it is important for you to go back and read these sections of the Old Testament and understand the history and works of the Lord in the past. It will greatly encourage you. There's a reason why we teach our children Bible stories so faithfully because we want them to know these works of the Lord in the past that they might be able to remember them. But this comes very personally, very quick. It's not only about what God did in somebody else's life a long time ago. It's also about what God's done in my life in past years. And the older we get, the longer the trail there is of the faithful works of the Lord in our life that we can look back to. For David, as he looks back and says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. There's, there's much to think about in his life. Much to think about what God had done and giving him the strength to kill a bear and a lion as a shepherd that prepared him to have the strength and the courage and the faith to go and, and kill the great warrior Goliath. Think about his a time of anointing of king by, by Samuel. What an amazing memory that would be. And then it's just been reminded me as I reread the life of David how close his relationship was with Samuel. Often there are people in our lives that have radically affected us for the Lord. They have encouraged us and strengthened our faith. But by, possibly by the time of this, but definitely by the time he was uh, king of Israel, Samuel had died. But he would think back to his relationship with Samuel, be encouraged by the godliness of that influential person in his life. Think of his friendship with Jonathan, the Lord's miraculous provisions, the Lord's miraculous victories in his life. And there was so much for him to think of and remember that the Lord had done. So how about you? Do you remember, do you think back about the things that the Lord has done in your life and his faithfulness? You should. 
But if you're not sure, it may be that you don't know Christ as your Savior because the beginning of this period of time is when we come to new life in Christ, when we are born again, when we for the very first time ask God for mercy and he forgives our sins and the the weight of guilt is lifted and the realization that we have fellowship with God and God now hears our prayers and the joy that sweeps over our heart, this is the first time that we begin to remember back and rejoice over what God has done in our life. If that has never been a part of your life, I pray that today will be a day of salvation for you. But those of you that have been Christians for a long time, it's important to recount the works of the faithfulness of the Lord in your life. It's important to even look back with your family and and with your children and say, what has God done? How has God acted in our life? And if you've lost sight of that, sit down and actually take time to do the next two things, which is meditate and ponder. What does it mean to meditate upon something, to ponder on something? It means to to consider it deeply, to take time, to set aside time, to have a quiet place to consider something, especially its meaning and its purpose. Because we all understand that it is almost impossible to grasp the, the connection of events or the purpose and meaning of events when we are living and walking through those events. Usually, when we come to understand the connection of events, it is years later. And we actually go back and we remember what's happened and we think, man, look how that that was connected to this and the Lord used that to have this happen. And for the first time in uh, in my life, the, the, the opportunity to publicly tell the story of this church and what the Lord's done in my life, I had the opportunity to do that past, this past week. And it was really exciting. And it was amazing to look back and see the connections of what the Lord has done from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to bring me here, to bring you here, to bring us here. But I can tell you, in the midst of that, it didn't feel like that. It felt like a walk of faith and there was great struggle and there was great hardship and it was difficult to put into perspective what God was doing. But it is right for us to remember, to look back, to ponder, to think about the Lord, what the Lord has done and to see the connections, to see the goodness and the mercy and the purpose of the Lord in our life. But this requires quietness. It requires you to set aside time to do it. Just a note on pondering and, and meditation in general, because when we are meditating, it means we're ruminating on something. And what are we ruminating on? We're ruminating on the, the word of the Lord and the works of the Lord. But pondering and meditation on the person and the work of the Lord is different than being an investigator or a scientist. And I, I want to make this distinction, and I hope you understand what I'm saying here. It is absolutely right to seek right knowledge about the Lord, but At the end of the day, we are not just stacking up facts about God like an investigator would or like a scientist would in publishing a report and handing it in. What what the end of all these things should result in is what just happened here beforehand, which is worship to the Lord God. That when we see the connections and we remember back on these things and we have a right understanding of who God is, it should cause us to glorify God. It should result in us speaking to others gladly and joyfully about the work of the Lord. It should result in worship. 
And if it results in a coldness of heart or a distance of heart, then you have missed something somewhere. Go back, ponder, think again on the works of the Lord until it causes you to rejoice. That was what happened in David's life, and that's what happens in every Christian's life when we go back and consider the purposes and the works of the Lord in our life. It results in worship, which is what we see in verse 6. What happens in verse 6? He says, I stretch out my hands to you. We've been talking about this a bit in in sermons and me writing in our newsletter that the worship of the Lord and what happens to us in the animation of our life is it changes all of our person. We begin with a step of faith, with our heart changed before the Lord, where we begin to believe things that we never believed before, and it begins to change the way that we think about things. And then that that thinking, we believe, we begin to change our character, and when our character changes, it begins to change our actions, and we begin to be a different person. And as it begins to change the things that we do and the way that we live, it changes the animation of our heart. And some of the most godly people I know, they are very animated about the way that they speak about the Lord because it's a passion in their heart. And clearly, David was one of those people. He describes his hunger and his passion and his desire for the Lord like a soul thirsting. He says, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Before we get into the parching and the the water and all that good stuff, I just want to mention the simple thing of my soul, okay? Often, my conversations with unbelieving people starts with this question. Do you realize that you have a soul? Do you understand that you are more than the sum of your parts? That there is something about you that is specially created in you as a human being by God that is a soul. Your soul is the mysterious inner part of you. We live in a radically naturalistic, humanistic, secular society now. And it crushes out this idea of there being a soul. Very few people talk about it. But it is central to the scriptures. It makes you what you are. If any one of you goes to the doctor and wants to have surgery today, the surgeon is going to cut you open and he's going to do the same thing to you as he did to anybody else. Because inside, we're all the same. Everything's in the same place. We're human beings. The anatomy is the anatomy of a human being. But you are particularly special as you because of the soul that has been given to you by God. And it is a soul that has an awareness that there is a God, that you have a conscience embedded in you that tells right from wrong. And you understand that there is something wrong between you and your relationship with a holy God. And you have been made for relationship with God. It is the most central and important relationship that you can ever have. And when you do not have that relationship, it leaves an unquenchable thirst, a hunger in your soul that you know there is something wrong and there is something missing. And you strive to fill it. And this is what David is expressing, a hunger and thirst after the Lord, something that must be quenched. People search and they search and they search to satisfy this emptiness in their heart. The hunger for relationship in the soul. And in our country, we have 
almost an unending ways of trying to patch over this gap in, an, in a way that doesn't work. We have so many forms of entertainment today that you can entertain yourself to death forever. And I'm, I'm convinced never leave your couch with the unending ways of distracting yourself from this situation. People travel to fill a gap in their life, to see new things, experience different things, academic degrees piled one on top of another, work achievements, more money, another tattoo, a different style, a new boyfriend, a new wife, uh, endless sexual expression and experimentation. Activism is a big one. Finding some cause that you're very passionate about, pouring your whole life into that cause. Adventure sports, some other thrill, the perfect body through fitness, another medication. If you can't get any of this right, go to some doctor, have him give you, keep tweaking the medications until somehow it makes me feel the way that I know I need to feel. But then often people reach the bottom level of like, there's something, I can't, I've tried it all. I mean, I have tried absolutely everything, and none of it is filling the thirst and hunger of my soul. It's got to be somewhere in religion. And then people start trying one religious experience after another religious experience, and they go to this and to that, and still there is no satisfaction. America has all of these things represented in incredible magnitudes, and yet America is discontent. It is restless. It is divided. It is anxious and it is full of guilt and our souls are dry and our souls are empty because we have rejected the Lord Jesus and his salvation. My soul thirsts for you. David is talking about the person of the Lord God. And I I want you to understand me this morning because it's very important that David is not seeking God for what God can give him. He wants relationship with God. And we understand this with people that we enjoy being around and the relationships that we love the most. We don't go to those people because of what they can give us. We just want to be around them. We want to enjoy sitting and having lunch with them and and going for a walk and playing, playing a game of golf or whatever it is that you do, and you want to enjoy being around these people that you enjoy being around. This is part of the foundation of what we're talking about here, that we want to be with God and enjoy his presence and his person and interacting with him. This is what heaven is going to be the the perfect expression of, being in relationship unhindered by sin with God. My soul thirsts for you. And so we are created for relationship, Relationship with one another, relationship through marriage, relationship through family, all kinds of relationships, but none of these relationships will work without a right relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one that primarily satisfies our souls and then orders all the rest of the relationships down the line. And so this is the beautiful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in Christ Jesus and because of his cross, we can be forgiven of our sins and that we can have the guilt of these things taken away, that we can be born again, given a new nature in Christ, that we can have new life in Christ, be filled with the Spirit of God, and be reconciled to God. I hope that there's been some point in your life where you've been separated from another person, 
and through confession and, and through asking and seeking forgiveness, you are reconciled with that person. And what was broken then becomes whole because this is what is happening between us and God through the cross of Jesus Christ. That we might be reconciled to God and have fellowship with him and pour out our heart to him and know that he hears us and receive his mercy. And so the psalmist expresses his longing for God as a, as a thirst. We know what it means to be thirsty. Some of you might be thirsty right now because it's, it's getting a little hot out here. But thirst is a, is a very specific longing and a very specific need. We get thirsty all throughout the day because it's something that has to be re-satisfied over and over. You don't take a drink on Monday and another drink on Friday. You take drinks all throughout the day, and if you don't keep drinking, bad things happen to you, and eventually you will die. It's the, it's the thing that you need most, and you will die quickest from having a lack of water. And so in this psalm, David expresses his need and longing for the Lord like a great thirst, which means that his reconnection and his, his nearness to the Lord needs to be constant and regular, and it satisfies the soul like water satisfying thirst. And without it, we will and he will die. We must have fellowship with the Lord. And so Jesus is very clear about this. None of this is an accident in the Bible. So our longing and need for the Lord is expressed as a thirst, and Jesus tells us that he is what? Living water. And that he is like a spring of living water welling up in the soul to continually satisfy the thirst and hunger of our soul. We see this most clearly in John chapter 4 with this woman by a well. And Jesus just perfectly chooses the place by a well and a woman walking a long way thirsty. And he tells her, come to me, I will, I will give you living water. In John 4, 13, Jesus says to this woman, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw this water. She doesn't quite understand at first. She gets it later. But Jesus is telling her, I will, will quench the thirst of your soul. I will be like a spring of living water inside your soul that never stops pouring out pure, fresh, clear water to quench the thirst of your soul and satisfy you. For the parched, empty, thirsty soul, Jesus is living water. The salvation of Jesus is, a, is an ever-renewing personal relationship where Jesus is near to us and we can go back to him again and again and again for the satisfaction of soul that we are looking at. And he nourishes and strengthens and lifts up our soul in strength. Well, I want to illustrate a little bit about this because all day long, you go out pouring out from your heart, especially if you're an adult with responsibilities. You pour into your kids, you pour into your work, you pour into your spouse, you pour into your friends, and you're pouring and you're pouring and you're pouring and you're pouring. We all know that if you've got a pitcher full of water and you start pouring and you keep pouring, what's going to happen to that pitcher before long? The pitcher's going to be empty and you're going to pour out everything you've got and you get to the bottom and there's nothing left. And I know that a great many of you feel like that maybe by midday. Your pitcher is empty. I have got nothing else to pour out. And then bad things start happening. The anger starts coming out. The rage starts coming out. Withdrawal starts happening. All kinds of things. However you express the emptiness of your heart. 
But my question is, how do you try to restore your soul? Everyone knows this, and everyone naturally tries to bring restoration to their soul, but how do you do that? The world strives for it in many basic ways. They you try to sit down, I'm going to entertain myself, watch a couple of movies tonight, maybe have a glass of wine, or have a cup of coffee, or read something, or, or maybe go for a walk, or for a run, or I like to ride my motorcycle to kind of relax my mind a little bit. And all these things can have a place, but they are not primary, and I can tell you and guarantee you they will not restore your soul. You will wake up in the morning just as worn out and tired as you went to bed the night before because the only one that can restore your soul is Jesus Christ. The living water of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can pour back into your soul and fill you up to overflowing. And so the picture that we have in the Gospels of Jesus Christ is that Oh, actually, before, I want to say one more thing, because this is very important. Some people, they reach the end of that line of, I have tried everything to restore my soul, and I am so worn out that I'm just going to get rid of all the relationships of my life to try to lessen the stress. I'm going to divorce my spouse. I don't want any kids, or I'm going to get rid of my kids. I'm going to work alone. I'm going to seek isolation. And that's a way of people trying to reduce stress in their life is by hiding from everyone. But I can tell you that also will not work. It will not satisfy your soul. Your soul will still be empty. In this personal relationship with God, our heart is filled up and restored so that we can bless and pour into others. And so what happens here is, is that we go out. So in, in my life, for instance, I go out as a husband, as a father, and I seek to pour into my wife, pour into my children, pour into people at work, pour into you. And what happens? Does the, does the pitcher run dry? It will run dry if I don't do what? If I don't go back to Jesus and I don't get near to him and his word and get on my knees in prayer and say, God, help me pour into my life your eternal life. And it strengthens me. It fills the pitcher back up. And in fact, the scriptures say that it fills to overflowing. It's like a spring overflowing that can constantly be poured out, poured out, poured out, poured out. And this is what Jesus does in his life. And this is what the apostles do. They're constantly, by the power of God's spirit, going back to the Lord, being filled, going out, pouring out, and blessing other people. Going back to the Lord, being filled, going out, pouring into other people. And this is the cycle, the beautiful cycle of the Christian life. And so David hungers and thirsts and he feels the emptiness of his soul and he's going back to God and he's seeking God, fill me, satisfy the thirst of my soul and we have to learn from David in this. Well, we're gonna end with the remaining verses here because what David does is he goes into a time of prayer and when we look, there's a lot that we could look at on the specifics of what it means and how it is that we renew our soul. But the most basic two things are intake of the Bible and prayer. We understand who God is through the scriptures and then we pray. And so we get a right knowledge of who God is from the scriptures and then we have meaningful, authentic communication with God in prayer. And so all healthy relationships require accurate knowledge and authentic communication, and it's no different with Jesus. And so what we have here, especially in these verses, is a way in which, and this can be applied to many passages in the Bible, but we can actually just pray right through this passage of Scripture, meaning that we use the Scripture that is in front of us that is a prayer from David to guide and strengthen and direct our prayers and our expression to God. 
We see in verses 7 through 12 a lot of action words. Answer, don't hide, hear, make me know, deliver me, teach me, lead me, preserve my life, bring me out of trouble, cut off my enemies, all kinds of things. And what I would like for us to do, I would like for us to, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and you can follow along with me. And I hope this will help set some example of this. I really didn't know how to teach this or how to explain this. So I'm just going to, we're going to do it together. And so you can pray with your eyes open, by the way. Uh, Praying with your eyes closed is a method of closing out distractions so that you're less distracted in your praying, but you can't possibly read the scriptures and pray with your eyes closed. So my eyes will be open, but I'm going to lead us in prayer as we pray through the scriptures and use David's prayer as a, a springboard for our prayers in guiding our prayers. This is called Praying Through the Bible. We have a book on it in the, um, in the library. Mike's written on it a couple of times. Go check it out if this interests you and you would like to know more about it. But let's, let's go to the Lord together in prayer this morning. Lord God, we ask for you to answer us quickly because our spirit fails. I know already this morning that there are many people in this place that have great struggles of heart and their heart is, is about to fail. They feel like the that the darkness of death is closing in around them and depression and struggle and hardship is upon them. And I pray, God, that you would answer and hear our prayer this morning and that you would pour out your spirit, that our spirit would not fail. Hide not your face from us, O Lord, lest we be like those that go down to the pit. Lord, we pray that you would hear the confession of our sins this morning and that you would see the contrition of our hearts and that you would not hide your face from us, but that you would shine your face upon us. Your countenance would be turned toward us. Lord, we pray that we would not be those as those that go down to the pit. I understand this at least in part to be that which is hell, those that turn their hearts away from you forever and are cast out. I pray, Father, that there would be no one in the hearing of my voice today that would reject the salvation of God and go down into the pit, as it were, but that they would be saved. Let us hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for we trust in you. Make us to know the ways that we should go, for we lift up our souls to you. Lord, let us hear your steadfast love in the morning. I pray that as we talk about hearing your voice and going to you for refreshment of soul, that we would make time, take hold of the busyness of our days, and we would make time, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, that we would quiet our hearts and meditate upon your word and listen to your spirit, and that we might experience the steadfast love of the Lord God for us we trust in you, Lord. I pray that as we seek these times this week, that you would genuinely fill our hearts to overflowing, that we might be able to then pour into others. Make us know the way that we should go, Lord. We need direction. We need guidance. We need wisdom in the conversations and the decisions that we make in our life every day. Help us to know the way that we should go. We lift up our souls to you. Deliver us from our enemies, O Lord. We have fled to you for refuge. You are our high tower. You are our shield. You are our good shepherd that stands between us and the enemy that would come and to devour us. And we hide in you, Lord. We love you and we take refuge in you. Teach us to do your will. For you are our God. Let your good spirit lead us on level ground. 
Teach us from your word, O Lord. As we study your word, I pray for those that are new in their study of the scripture, that you would help them to understand what is in the Bible. Lord, help it to come alive to them by the work of your spirit, the teaching, illuminating, instructing work of your spirit. Teach us, Lord, to do your will. May your spirit lead us on level ground. May we never go out of step with the Spirit of the Lord. May we follow after the ways of the Lord by the Spirit of the Lord, that we might be a people known for our love of Jesus Christ. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve our lives. In your righteousness, bring our soul out of trouble. We are under attack as Christians day in and day out. We live in an increasingly ungodly nation and we pray, God, that you would protect us, each family, this church, Christians that love you throughout this nation and world. Lord, we pray that you will preserve our lives and in your righteousness, you would bring us out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you will cut off our enemies and destroy the adversaries of our soul. Lord, you know those that are against us, and we pray, God, that you would help us, as Christ has instructed us to do, to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us. But, Lord, we pray that your work would not be undone by the enemies of your church. For I am your servant. Lord, we are your servants. We come before you with great humility and contrition this morning. We want your will to be done in our lives, not our own will. We are your servants. We are not going in our own direction, doing our own thing. We want to serve Jesus, our Lord. We pray all these things in the powerful, matchless, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.